the definition of an adult child, and why I'll never date another guy named Brian. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome to the Adult Child Podcast. My name is Andrea, and I am the captain of this ship. So if this is the first time you're hearing this term, adult child, you are probably thinking, what the hell does that mean? That was definitely my response the first time I heard it. I remember thinking, adult child, is that what you call the 50-year-old guy that never moved out of his parents' basement? Well, I then learned that it is kind of that, never moving out of your parents' house, except not literally, but I will explain that shortly. So what should you know about me? Well, I am 32 years old and I am five foot 11. Thank God I started smoking cigarettes at 12 or I would have been seven foot one, which we know no lady wants to be. I love Real Housewives and 90 Day Fiance. I hate cilantro and guys that lie about their height on dating apps. And please, whatever you do, don't call me Andrea. It is Andrea, y'all, Andrea. But what's most important for you to know about me is that I am a recovering alcoholic and addict and celebrated 12 years of sobriety this past September. So in this podcast, I will be sharing with you my journey to sobriety, my journey in sobriety, and my experience of being an adult child, experiences that some may find shameful and embarrassing to talk about. However, shining a light and processing the shame and pain of my past has allowed me to create a life of depth and meaning, and I truly want you all to have that as well. So whatever brought you to my podcast, you are absolutely welcome, even even if you're one of those dudes lying about your height on Tinder. Maybe you're sober, maybe you're not, maybe you had a less than ideal childhood, or you keep finding yourself in the same toxic relationship and you can't figure out why. My sincere hope is that through sharing my truth, you can relate. And perhaps this may help you on your own journey. At a bare minimum, though, I promise to entertain you because, as you'll soon learn, I used to be a fucking shit show. Yet now, now I am a pretty well adjusted adult with an amazing therapist. So, every episode, we will be exploring different facets of being an adult child, such as toxic shame codependency, PTSD, and many forms of addiction. I'll share candidly from my own experience, and then I'll have guests, subject matter experts, my friends, interesting people. Except today, today you're just getting me. Today, we are setting the foundation of what's to come in future episodes. You could call it Adult Child 101. But first... I am going to tell you how I came to learn that I was an adult child. And to do that, I will be telling you the tale of two Brians about 
two relationships, two painful relationships with guys named Brian that were the catalyst to my adult child healing journey. So I met Brian number one in 2015 on the dating app Bumble. Side note, I am seven years sober at this point. So we went to one of my favorite sushi restaurants in San Francisco for our first date. And I remember being in the Uber on the way to the restaurant and not feeling as nervous as I typically do on a first date. We had had some solid uh, text banter up until this point, and it seemed that our sense of humor is aligned, which is super important to me. His profile said that he was six foot five, which experience had shown me, ladies, that once we get over the six two mark, we can be pretty confident that he's at least six feet tall. And then the big plus was that he had actually called me earlier that day. So he got brownie points there. Take Notes, gentlemen, actually pick up the phone and call a gal up before the first date. So the date's going well. He was tall. He was attractive. He was funny. Conversations flowing. No awkward silences. And then when he ordered his second glass of sake, he asked if I didn't drink at all or if I just wasn't drinking that night. Now, For the first five years or so of my sobriety, having to tell a potential suitor that I was sober was super scary for me. Like, what if they think I'm a loser or I'm boring or whatever? But thankfully, by this point, that fear had left me. That didn't mean that I would just sit down and blurt it out as soon as I arrived on the date. Hi, I'm Andrea. I used to be a crazy drunk, but I don't drink anymore, but I promise I'm still loads of fun. Rather, I would wait for the universe to present the opportunity where it was clear that I was supposed to share this information about myself. And often this did occur on the first date, as was the case here. So I answered him honestly. I told him that I had been sober for seven years and that it was better for him and every living being on this planet that I didn't drink anymore. And he responded well. He said that that was great. And congratulated me on such a huge accomplishment. Uh, He then shared with me actually that his sister about two years prior had actually died from alcoholism when she was only 30 years old. My heart obviously broke for him. Uh, But another part of me actually sighed in relief because I thought perhaps this was a good sign in terms of him, you know, understanding the disease that I suffer from and being supportive of my sobriety. But then, then the red flag came when he said to me, you know, I've actually been trying to cut back on my drinking over the past few months and haven't been too successful. So I think it's great that you don't drink. I think it'll help me out. Now, perhaps you don't see this as a red flag, but let me explain why it is. Those words would never be uttered by someone 
with a completely healthy relationship with alcohol. Never. (laughs) So this is now a good time to inform you that at this point, I had an illustrious history of ignoring red flags. Brian certainly wasn't my first ignored red flag, and unfortunately, he wouldn't be my last. I don't know about you, but I am one of those people who, when I decide I like someone, which can happen pretty quickly over the course of one or two dates, I am like in it to win it. Bloom where I'm planted. These two dates are actually the equivalent of a 20-year marriage, and we need to make this shit work for the sake of the kids. Because here's the thing. I end up not liking most guys I go on a first date with. Most first dates don't turn into a second date. So when I fall upon somebody that I like and I decide that I'm into them, you can wave 10 red flags in my face. You can tell me you killed your mom. And I'm like, I do. And when's the wedding? So of course, I took that red flag and I flushed that shit down the toilet before I even left the restaurant. I mean, of course I did. He had already asked me on a second date. And therefore, going forward, I would only see the good side of Brian. And I'm sure you'll all be shocked to hear that my sobriety didn't seem to rub off on Brian number one at all, as there wasn't a single date we went on where he didn't drink. Or if this was him cutting back, God knows what he was like before. But I proceeded to flush that red flag down the toilet too. Because, you guys, he never seemed to get drunk. Sure, he drank every single time we were together. But his mood never changed, so it was fine, right? Plus, I really liked him, and we had a lot of fun together. And most importantly, he was really, really into me. So much so that only after dating a week and a half, he asked me to be exclusive. And this was even before we had had sex. I told him that I had a rule of waiting at least three to four weeks to have sex with a new boyfriend. And he told me that I was totally worth the wait. How romantic, right? And then, then after only dating for about three weeks, he told me he was going to visit his parents that weekend. And he asked me if I wanted to come. I don't think that I had had a boyfriend ask me to meet their parents since high school. So naturally, I am 100% positive that this is my future husband and that he'll put a ring on it and I'll have a baby on board in no time. So we're on our way up to his parents' house and he informs me that he will not be drinking around his parents this weekend. And not just that. He also asks me not to mention the fact that he has been drinking. And when I ask why, he tells me that there was some sort of terrible incident that had occurred a few months prior when he was drunk and with his parents. And because of this, his parents insisted on him being sober. And of course, I said yes, as if it were no big deal while simultaneously throwing yet another red flag out the car window. I mean, what good girlfriend wouldn't lie to her boyfriend's parents? 
especially, especially when it's to enable their drinking. Totally normal, totally healthy. (sighs) So we get to his parents' house and they greet us at the front door with two red flags in their hand. I mean, cocktails in their hand. But it's four o'clock on a Friday, right? So that's completely normal. And then the following day, they start drinking at noon and they don't stop. And then on Sunday, the same thing. They start at noon and they don't stop. But when it was time to go home on Monday morning, I hugged his parents and thanked them for an amazing weekend. Here I was dating such an incredible guy who likes me so much. He wants to wait to have sex with me and he wants me to meet his parents. So who cares that his parents were binge drinking the entire weekend while Brian wasn't drinking at all because they thought he had a drinking problem. I was confident that this was the first family trip of many. I could hear church bells in my head, see our wedding, and plan to practice his last name in cursive as soon as I got home. And then, and then he ghosted me. Like, I texted, I called, I was ready to send a carrier pigeon, and I could not get a hold of him. And after not hearing from him for two days, I had a panic attack at work and I had to go home. And I couldn't believe that this was happening to me again. While I had never been completely ghosted before, I had had many relationships where the guys broke up with me extremely abruptly, like without any sort of warning sign. I went to bed confident in the relationship, and then the next day they broke up with me. And because that had been um, extremely traumatic for me, the thought that this was happening to me again um, made me want to die. I wasn't suicidal, but I definitely felt like if this is what life is like at seven years sober, what's the point? Um, And when I told this to my mom, she immediately flew out and stayed with me for a week. I felt like I was at the bottom of a dark pit and that the only way out was Brian number one. But then in the midst of this gut-wrenching pain and anxiety, I had my first adult child aha moment. Somehow, some way, the tiniest bit of space was created between my true self and this unbearable pain that I was feeling within. And I realized that there was no way that this reaction could actually be about Brian number one. I mean, I had only known this douchebag for a couple of weeks. Plus, he clearly had a drinking problem. Plus, it seemed his parents did as well. Objectively, that is not enough time to justify this inconsolable heartbreak that I was feeling that was literally making me a non-functioning human that couldn't go to work and needed their mom to take care of them. But then I had an even more profound awareness when I realized that the way I was feeling was a feeling that I had felt often as a child. And for the first time in my life, I saw that there was some sort of connection here 
that somehow the issues that I encountered in romantic relationships was somehow connected to my childhood. And that was profound um, and helped me to understand why in spite of making countless promises to myself that I would no longer ignore red flags, I had been incapable of doing so. So it's about a month later, I'm slightly more functional, but still not over Brian number one, because let's face it, it usually takes me three to four times the length of the actual relationship uh, to get over it. (laughs) But um, I'm at a women's AA meeting where the speaker who had over 30 years of sobriety spoke about an emotional bottom that she had hit at around seven years sober, which was the same as me at the time. And um, as a result of a toxic romantic relationship and that it was through this relationship and the pain of this relationship that she had come to terms with the actual impact that her childhood had on her and that the transformation that had occurred from confronting her dysfunctional upbringing was just as profound, if not more than when she had gotten sober And she mentioned that she had read a book called Adult Children of Dysfunctional Families. So as soon as I got home from the meeting, I downloaded the book onto my Kindle and I started reading it and I couldn't put it down. Uh, My mind was blown. I related to it even more than I related to uh, the big book, which is the primary text of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it just further confirmed that My inability to act upon the discovery of red flags and my unreasonable emotional responses I had at the end of relationships had little to do with the men I had been dating and everything to do with my childhood. So a few weeks later, I'm back at the same meeting and I see the lady who had mentioned the book. And at the end of the meeting, I essentially sprint over to her and I told her about how her share had impacted me and how I had read the book that she had mentioned. And she said that that was great and that she was super happy for me, uh, but that I should know that just reading that book wasn't going to be enough for me to work through those issues. She looked at me and she said, it took me many years of therapy and hard work to work through this stuff. This is not something you can fix overnight, and you need to treat this as seriously as you treated your alcoholism. It will take you years to work through all this, but I promise you that if you do the work, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I remember thinking, years, years, I don't have years, lady. I'm almost 30, aka I'm essentially a senior citizen, and I need to have this shit fixed yesterday or at most a few months. And I really just hoped that her childhood had been a lot more fucked up than mine. But but to be safe, I decided to take a year off from dating. And I felt pretty confident that a year hiatus and reading that book would surely suffice. Uh, but sadly, uh, self-knowledge would avail me nothing. Just like learning you have cancer doesn't make the cancer go away, Having the realization that my dating struggles were somehow rooted in childhood wasn't sufficient enough to produce any sort of internal shift. So enter Brian number two. Brian, 
So now it is September 2017. And like Brian number one, I met Brian number two on Bumble. We had our first date on a Sunday and we were meeting at a sports bar to watch some football. And I made quite the entrance. Um, Prior to the date, uh, when I was shaving my legs, I had cut my ankle and I didn't have any band-aids. I was hoping that it would stop bleeding by the time I left, but it was not. So I decided to go the DIY route and take a tiny piece of toilet paper, wet it a little bit with my saliva, and then stick that bad boy on the cut. And this method uh, had been successful for me in all previous attempts, but not today. I strolled into that sports bar with my ankle just covered in blood. Uh, and I, I saw him sitting up at the bar and I went up to him and I was like, hi, uh, I need to go ask for a band-aid. I'll be right back. Wow. Was he in love yet or what? <laughs> Anyways, uh, the date was going okay. He he seemed a little boring, actually, but I just wondered if perhaps he was nervous. Uh, so at the end of the date, when he asked me if he could take me out to dinner later in the week, I said yes. Plus, uh, he had only two beers over the course of the date, and he didn't inquire uh, on me not drinking. So hopefully uh, that was a good sign. So it's the next night and I'm on the phone with my friend, Sasha. And of course she wants to know how the date went. And especially she wants to know about his drinking. Fair question, given my track record. And I jokingly answered that he only had two beers, but we both know that there's an 80% chance that he's an alcoholic solely by going on a date with me. (laughs) We both laughed. Uh, It was a joke, but not. Um, And as soon as I got off the phone with her, I saw that Brian had sent me two text messages while we had been talking, both of which were links to One Direction music videos. Um, Let me remind you that Brian, number two, this man is 41 years old at the time. And for those of you who aren't familiar with One Direction, uh, they are a boy band with a target audience of girls between seven to 14. So I text him back. I said, did a 12-year-old girl hack your phone? And then about five minutes later, my phone is ringing and it's him. And I pick up the phone and guess what? He is fucking wasted, slurring and all. And what was my first thought? Well, it was, thank goodness there is a legitimate reason for him sending me those music videos. He didn't like boy bands. He was just an alcoholic. (laughs) So the following morning, uh, he texts me and it's clear he's not remember calling me, which I then inform him that he did. He definitely seemed embarrassed and was super apologetic. He told me that this was not normal behavior for him, uh, that he had been entertaining clients and things had gotten a little carried away. And he said he totally understood if I wanted to cancel our plans for later in the week, but that he'd really love for me to give him another chance. So here we are. You know, I've just taken this break from dating and I've just read this book, Adult Child of Dysfunctional Families. And I've got some awareness of what, you know, what my issues are, my conditions are. And here we are and we're presented with red flag numero uno my opportunity to do things differently. 
But what I thought was, perhaps this flag was a fluke. And that perhaps, you know, this red flag had just accidentally fallen out of his pocket. I mean, I've watched plenty of football games and seen a a penalty flag, like accidentally get thrown by a referee. So perhaps if I don't go on this date, is that contempt prior to investigation? I mean, not to mention, I am a 28-year-old sober gal, perhaps blacking out on a Monday night, you know, drunk dialing a girl you've just been on one date with and texting boy band music videos is normal behavior for a 41-year-old man. So I decided to give him another chance. You know, I was a changed woman now. After reading this book, I felt confident that if there was even a slight sign of another red flag, that I surely could walk away easily. But the fact was that I hadn't changed a damn bit. In fact, it seemed that I had only gotten worse. And I know I told you that I was going to tell you the tale of two Bryans, but you're actually going to get the tale of one and a half Bryans. You're going to have to wait to hear the rest of this story in a later episode. But what I will tell you is that the following six months were some of the darkest days of my life. And I encountered countless red flags and disregarded them. I felt crazier than ever. I acted crazier than ever, and I felt new depths of pain. And this isn't because Brian number two was so horrible. It was because I was an untreated adult child. And while I had put down the drink nine years prior, there was another progressive disease growing within me, the disease of family dysfunction, which created the same levels of powerlessness and unmanageability as my alcoholism had. And as miserable as that time in my life was, I am so grateful for that pain because I finally reached my bottom. And I finally realized the true impact that my childhood had had on me. And I was granted the gift of full awareness. Melody Beatty, who is the author of Codependent No More, says that awareness is how life, the universe, and our higher power gets our attention and prepares us for change. And while Brian number one had slightly opened the door of awareness, Brian number two slammed it completely open. And I realized that I was what, what I was dealing with, my unresolved childhood pain and the disease of family dysfunction was much more powerful than I had assumed and that my livelihood depended on facing it and that that lady had been right. I needed to treat this as seriously as I had my alcoholism. And that's what I did. I sought the help I so desperately needed and have spent the last three plus years diligently, diligently working on these issues, healing from my dysfunctional upbringing. While there definitely is still more work to be done, it has been an amazing ride with profound change, which is why I feel so compelled to share my story with you all. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So I am hoping that after hearing about bride number one and bride number two, you are thinking either, oh my God, I can totally relate or, oh my God, at least I'm not as crazy as her. So now we've reached the informational portion of the episode, Adult Child 101, which will lay the foundation for what lies ahead in this podcast. So the full term, as you may have caught on, is adult child of a dysfunctional family. However, for brevity's sake, I will just be saying adult child. And an adult child is someone with unresolved pain or issues from their childhood, which surface and play out in adulthood and not in a good way. You see, this unresolved pain causes them to respond to adult situations with self-doubt, self-blame, or a sense of being wrong or inferior, which was all ingrained during their childhood. In other words, our childhood experiences program the person we become in adulthood, and this is the case for everyone. And an adult child is someone whose childhood resulted in faulty programming. So where the hell did this term come from? Well, initially, the term was actually adult children of alcoholics. In the late 70s, the support group called Adult Children of Alcoholics was formed. I will be referring to this as ACA. And this group was a spinoff from Al-Anon. For those of you who may not be familiar, Al-Anon is the 12-step fellowship and sister program of Alcoholics Anonymous, meant for the spouses, relatives, and friends of the alcoholic. And how ACA differed from Al-Anon was that It focused primarily on the impact of growing up with an alcoholic parent. And what this group found was that they had many common characteristics, even though the specifics of their childhoods may have varied. And this led to the group's first piece of literature, The Laundry List, a list of 14 common traits of those who had grown up in an alcoholic home. And more on that in just a bit. So then in 1983, the first book on adult children of alcoholics was written. It was called Adult Children of Alcoholics. And this book was not affiliated with the ACA program. It was actually written by Dr. Janet Wotitz, who was a psychologist and researcher. And this book broke new ground in the understanding of alcoholism as a family disease that alcoholism had a drastic effect on the entire family and that growing up in an alcoholic family often resulted in lifelong patterns of dysfunctional behavior. And she would actually publish a revised copy of the book less than 10 years later because what had become clear in the mental health field was that other types of dysfunctional families could produce an adult child. So now the term adult child is used to describe adults who grew up in an alcoholic or another type of dysfunctional family who exhibit identifiable traits 
that reveal past abuse or neglect. Now, some of you are probably thinking, what family isn't dysfunctional? And that is true in the sense that all families encounter dysfunction from time to time. But healthy families acknowledge, work through, and move past their problems, while dysfunctional families never acknowledge or deal with their issues. Thus, they continue to live in the dysfunction indefinitely. Now, dysfunctional families can come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's blatant, like physical or sexual abuse, alcoholism, addiction. And other times the dysfunction is more subtle and covert, like having a parent that was extremely controlling or hypercritical of you, growing up in an extremely religious family, growing up in a perfectionistic family in which the expectations of you were so high and the only time you received praise from your parents was when it related to an external accomplishment, like doing well in school or sports, rather than being recognized for who you were as a person. My personal opinion is that, you know, the more subtle forms of dysfunction can be just as damaging as the more obvious types. And I do not say this to minimize or discount the experiences of those who have been subjected to some really fucked up shit. What I mean is that those who were victims of the more milder forms of abuse and neglect are often oblivious to the fact that they suffered any abuse at all. For me, it wasn't until just a few years ago that I came to terms with the true impact my childhood had on me. I definitely knew aspects had been less than ideal, but I also knew that other kids had it much worse than I had. I was never sexually or physically abused. My wants and frankly, most of my needs had always been accounted for, and I had way more happy memories than sad or bad ones. But the truth is that I was severely impacted by my childhood, and the repercussions resulted in a lot of pain in adulthood, which you're going to be hearing all about in the episodes to come. And my guess is that there are tons of people out there who are clueless to the fact that the reoccurring difficulties they encounter in life, whether that be at work, in romantic relationships, in friendships, are actually a result of their dysfunctional upbringing, their unresolved childhood issues, which is a huge reason that I'm doing this podcast. But I ask that you please hold off for now, going down the rabbit hole of figuring out whether or not your family was dysfunctional. Next week's episode is all about dysfunctional families. Plus, if you're wondering whether or not you're an adult child, the better way to go about this, in my opinion, is to see if you identify with any of the common characteristics of an adult child. Because it is these traits that are often the red flags to the internal and subconscious wounds of our childhoods. And that was the case for me. I remember identifying with many of the traits and thinking, holy shit, I'm not inherently flawed, crazy, and unfixable. I'm an adult child. So what are these characteristics? I mentioned the laundry list earlier, the list of 14 common characteristics developed by the ACA program. And then in Dr. Janet's book, she has her own list of 13 characteristics. Now, the lists aren't identical, but there is a ton of overlap. I'm not going to read both lists to you, but I do want to touch upon eight of the heavy hitters, in my opinion. Number one, 
impulsive behaviors. Adult children will often impulsively make a choice or respond to a situation without thinking through the consequences or considering other options. Number two, an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Adult children often feel the need to take care of everyone and everything around them. They overcommit themselves in work and in their home lives as well as in their personal relationships. And being overly concerned with others allows them to not have to take a good look at themselves or their own flaws. Number three, overreaction to changes outside of their control. Unsolicited change is almost always received negatively by an adult child. Rather than taking a moment to process the potential positive aspects of the change or focus on how to adjust and move forward, the response is almost always an extreme emotional overreaction, which often actually has nothing to do with the present circumstance at hand. Number four, conceived victimhood. Adult children have a hard time identifying the role that their choices play in the evolution of their lives. Instead, they often blame the people around them for the consequences of their choices. You did this, so I had to do that. Or they just feel like they have the worst luck in the world. Why does this keep happening to me? I utter those words so many times at the end of a relationship. And since they can't acknowledge or see their part in things, they're unable to learn and just keep repeating the same behavior over and over. Number five, judgmental behavior. Adult children are extremely judgmental of others, but even more judgmental of themselves. They have a low sense of self-esteem and can't accept a compliment because they think so little of themselves. Number six, approval-seeking and people-pleasing. Adult children often prioritize the opinions of others and have a hard time taking criticism in any kind, even if it is well-meant, constructive, or accurate. And they also feel guilty whenever they stand up for themselves. Number seven, substance use disorders. Adult children are at a higher risk for developing alcoholism, addiction, or another compulsive disorder, such as food, gambling, workaholism. And if they don't themselves develop an addiction, they often find themselves in a relationship with someone who does. Which brings us to number eight, difficulties in romantic relationships. I can't relate to this one at all. (laughs) Adult children's pickers are broken when it comes to significant others. Like attracts like. Adult children are often attracted to others that are also emotionally unhealthy, and they tend to confuse love and pity. They tend to love those they can pity and rescue. And they will also stay in a toxic relationship much longer than they should, because they are terrified of abandonment. They will do anything to hold on to a relationship because that miserable relationship is better than being alone. Again, I totally can't relate. (laughs) So that wraps up Adult Child 101, 
congrats on making it through and for listening to my voice for however long it's been. In the show notes, you will find several resources, which I will be doing in every episode to help you on your own journey. I do want to point out this pamphlet called Am I an Adult Child, which includes the laundry list in its entirety and also 25 questions to help you assess if you're an adult child. I do just want to say that you don't have to identify with all 14 traits or say yes to all 25 questions in order to be an adult child. For myself, I relate to seven of the traits and I said yes to 12 of the 25 questions. I also want to say that saying yes to one or two of the questions or identifying with one or two of the traits doesn't necessarily make you an adult child either. Only you can figure out that for yourself. You can find me on Instagram at adultchildpod. Please hit a girl up. I would love to hear from you. Next week, we're talking dysfunctional families. You're going to get to hear the experiences of two adult children, mine and my friend Eric. It's super raw, it's super vulnerable, and I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie, I promise. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.